Welcome to AI Nerd, AI with Attitude. Today with me is Deke Copenhaver. Deke Copenhaver, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful Monday morning. It is, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. You've, uh, you know, you're quite an interesting character, I'd say. You know, as a, as a, you own a consulting firm for government issues and other challenges they face. You're a former mayor of Augusta, Georgia, which most people in this world know of because of the Masters. Um, you're a triathlete, I believe, as well. Um, anything else you'd like to stack on there? A oh, best-selling author, um, podcast number one in the world right now, I think. So, you know, tell everybody who you are uh, a little bit here. Yeah, um, Deke Copenhaver. I was former mayor of Augusta, spent nine years in office, formed a consulting firm when I got out, really to help local governments and to help with the economic development efforts in local communities. I was the host of a call-in radio show for a year. And subsequently just released last year, my first book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, which has gone to number one on Amazon in three different categories. So uh, I, I tell people, when I graduated from college, I went into banking and finance, then I went into real estate development, spent four years running a nonprofit land conservation organization, nine years as mayor, talk show host, best-selling author, consultant. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it seems like you're doing quite a bit. Uh, do you have, can you give me your, your best radio voice right now? Like, you know, in a smooth jazz. Thanks for calling in. This is Deke. How can I help you? How did you do that? What was your bit? It's funny. Smooth jazz. This is Deke Copenhaver. Thank you for calling in. I didn't, I, I just always leap before I look. So the first day that I had my radio show, I didn't even know where to plug the headphones in. <laughs> So, that's great. Uh, that's the same thing with running for mayor. I'd never been involved in politics. I just knew we needed new leadership here. And a friend of mine told me that I'm apolitical. I'm happily independent, and I didn't run for office for a career in politics. I just did it to, to help my local community. So I, my life has taken a very circuitous path. You're a, you're a native of Augusta, is that correct? I actually was born in Montreal, Canada, and uh, moved when I was four years old, which is interesting. I, in you know, doing some introspection while writing the book, I realized I've always been very inclusive and wanted to make people feel like they fit in. And I think part of that is from moving from Canada to Augusta, Georgia, as a painfully shy four-year-old with a thick Canadian accent, I, I knew what it was like to feel like a fish out of water. Oh, I bet. I, I mean... Are you consider still though from the local terms of Augusta, and I don't know much about the culture of Augusta outside of the Masters. Let's say is you know there every year. Uh, were you quickly? Did you quickly become a regular, or like a, a person from there? Or are you always the guy from Canada that moved there at age four? No, no, I, I quickly fit in, and yeah, I've always been able to make friends pretty easily. Hopefully, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. But uh, no, it didn't take too too long for me to fit in. I, 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 that's a great transition, you know, easily to get along guy. You got elected for five years. Uh, so tell me, why did you run in the first, how did you get involved in that? Cause I, I think you and I had a conversation. You said that you didn't intend to do that. No, <laughs> and so no. tell me about how you got going and what, what the issues were that brought you forth. Well, ironically, I grew up wanting to be a writer and then at the age of 51, I released my first book, but I'm, I was actually mayor for nine years. So in 2004, I went through a program called Leadership Georgia that many of your listeners may be familiar with, oldest statewide leadership program in the nation. And 
I got tired of traveling around the state and hearing people say, what's wrong with Augusta's politics? So my graduation weekend, um, we had our third current or former elected official go under indictment. And I was like, if a position comes available, I'm gonna run for it. Wow. So former mayor left office to become Southeast Regional Director for HUD. So I first ran in 2005 to fulfill an unexpired term. Hadn't run again in 2006 and then again in 2010. But I, I, I was a political science major. And I felt like if this was my own experiment in democracy, if I provide people with an alternative to politics as usual, they'll go for it. So I never went negative. We had a bunch of 20 and 30 something year olds on my campaign. When I ran, I was 37. We had fun. And I think that energy and enthusiasm was contagious. But it's interesting, I'll tell you a story. I was having lunch with Andrew Young, Ambassador Young, a number of years ago. And we talked about what it was like to be a mayor. And I said, yeah, but you know, everybody's got their critics and cynics. He said, well, what do people criticize you about? I said that I'm non-controversial and I'm too positive. And he's like, that's crazy. But, but if that's the, you know, the main criticism of me for nine years in office, I'll take it. And uh, <laughs> I wish somebody criticized me so nicely. That's not generally <laughs> what I got. It's it's really there's expletives involved. There's people throwing things. It's just it, I like I like where you went with that better. Uh, you you parlayed that though, right? Is that is this? So tell me about you know how you took that experience. Uh, I'd love to hear your favorite Masters Week story as a, as the mayor. Uh, I gotta ask, like tell tell me what that experience is like. You know, you go from living there to being you know the the ruler of that to prepare that city to some degree to. As a golfer, I got to ask selfishly, tell me about that week, what goes on in that city. It was really special for me. My father was actually, who's deceased, I was actually a member of the National. And I grew up working the tournament. So to then, for a kid who worked, you know, the scoreboards out there to end up becoming mayor of Augusta was very special. One interesting memory I have, and there's so many that I have, it's hard to just pick one, but, but that your listeners might be interested in. So I... I had dropped off my father-in-law at the clubhouse and I was going to park my car and I noticed Tiger Woods and he didn't have, it was just unusual because he didn't have an entourage around him. So I asked the deputy, I said, you mind if I just say hello to him? So I went up and said, Tiger, you know, I'm Dee Copenhagen, I'm mayor of Augusta. I just want to say welcome to Augusta and I hope you have a great tournament. So then I walked off and the, the deputy caught me on the way in though and said, you just made his day. He's like, he had the biggest smile on his face. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And I made Tiger Woods smile, but, uh, but that was just one of them. There were so many others. And so it was a really special thing for me to be mayor of Augusta Masters Week. Do, do you think maybe he was thinking, oh, cool. If I get pulled over DUI this, I got a way out. <laughs> I, I have no clue. Uh, just, you know, just things happen later in life that maybe he, now you look back, maybe it's a tiger. I don't know. Just had to ask. The, uh, so you, you leave office there. Uh, did you, is that when you started the, the consulting or tell, tell me how you've gotten to where you are now? Actually, and take a moment to talk about what you're doing now. Cause what, you know, Augusta side, master side, actually what we, what I was really interested in is, is how your approaches to uh, the pandemic and the opportunity it's presented for these or for, for small uh, governments around the United, entire United States and the overwhelming opportunity that's in front of them, all there's equally amount of challenge and, and opposition to it. And I'd love to hear about what you're doing 
and kind of give me like frame that conversation. Absolutely. So, so the book really took off last year. So that was my primary focus. It wasn't necessarily, I built a good consulting business, but my revenue model coming into this year was based on speaking engagements. So I had my first big gig at University of Texas, El Paso, their student engagement and leadership center found the book last fall and worked it into their powerful pages program. So my first big national speaking gig at UTEP on March 10th. <laughs> and then, so I'm like, I'm gonna be on college campuses everywhere. But uh, obviously that, the world changed. So I've got a couple that are friends of mine that wrote a best-selling book called The Submarine Way, um, Diversity and Inclusion, The Submarine Way. Uh, Deb Fortin and John Vincent. But I'd written the foreword for the book about five years ago. And so basically, John is former Navy and was stationed on a nuclear submarine. So the book is about that if you're a 27-year-old on a nuclear submarine, you know, you, you don't have to like everybody, but you've got to be able to work together. So they've been consulting with um, corporations and local governments and police departments on equity and inclusion for years now. So they're not new to this. But I had a Zoom call with them last spring and they said, you know what, you really need to be helping cities because the institutional knowledge of having been mayor for nine years, I was very involved in our economic development efforts. I actually ran our local development authority on an interim basis a couple of years back. But I had not wanted to enter into long-term consulting agreements with municipalities because I didn't want to be on the road all the time. So with everything going virtual, that's opened up tremendous opportunities. I've formed an alliance with the Submarine Way to, to really focus on a lot on economic development efforts for local communities, small to mid-sized cities. And the, the first week that we announced the, um, announced the alliance, we generated 300 leads in cities across the Southeast. So it, it's really worked out to me. But what I say to local leaders every place is the reality of the situation from an economic development standpoint is that small to medium-sized cities are so well, well positioned to take advantage of the, the fact that corporations and individuals are leaving major metropolitan areas. So the, that size of city has a phenomenal opportunity from an economic development standpoint now. And that's, I'm, I'm passionate about helping cities. You know, I spent nine years serving my own, but, but I think we bring a great value to the table for local governments and to corporations as well. I, I, I can imagine, and I think, you know, we'll say the policies and the, I mean, the methods and just the, the kind of blocking and tackling that we need to do from a, like I mean, the commercial model to bring organizations into smaller cities or entice them to have innovation labs or whatever else they need to do or factory, whatever it is. Uh, you know, at the core of that, the, I'd have to assume, and I mean, it's selfish yourself because it is AI nerd, but I think there's some probably technology play that really enables this that was obvious once COVID hit, right? That, oh, you can do things remotely. You can yeah. be in lower cost areas within your own country. So you don't need to export or outsource all your things. You can, you can repatriate them and you can do it in smaller communities where people actually want to live now. Mm -hmm. So tell me, Millie, me talk about how you view the technology component outside the mechanics of, of you know, just policy and, and governing. Well, it's it just technology that we have now. I mean, we're on Zoom call, but I'll give you a great example. So, so working virtually has created opportunities for me to work all over the world. 
a year ago last month, I believe, a lady named Carrie Grace, who's a regional development CEO in New South Wales and Australia, reached out to me to let me know that she was using my book as a tool to help her deal with the bushfires. And we maintained that relationship, but just to know that, you know, using my book as a platform through, through technology, it's, it's been amazing. You know, I've had people, young people from Spain and had people from Africa reach out to me that have read the book and they, they found me on LinkedIn, which is where we connected. So it, it's smart technology just has changed the world. So I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I do want to get back to in-person at yeah. some point because I really just enjoy having conversations. But, but you and I discussed from a technology standpoint, U.S. Army Cyber Command has moved to Augusta, Georgia. And cybersecurity is going to be a growth industry forever, pretty much. So we're pro really prospering from that move because we're seeing such explosive growth in the technology sector in Augusta. You know, I would think it would be fantastic if a couple of small uh, cities have this revolutionary, like revolutionary an epiphany, if you will, of, of, oh, wow, we can be so much more. However, it is government. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. How in the world? I, so I, I'm hopeful, but incredibly skeptical because just even saying, let's say a, a letter to the post office is impossible to get it with any certainty that it will arrive on time or to the right address, let alone like, you know, to get a plate renewed or file unemployment or whatever you need to do. There's a government person involved and I don't want to slam government people, but honestly, sometimes reputations are earned. So how is, I mean, I don't think you can wait. I think this is the time to act or you go back to your old tactics and we all fall back to what we used to do. How does a, how does a government get over this or how does a community overcome what they are and who, who, who is the persona that do that? You got to have change making leaders. And as I said, I ran for mayor. I came from a background in business. I, I, as I mentioned, I'm pretty much apolitical. I focused on running the city, like running a business. But I think if change is going to come governmentally in the nation, it's got to start at the local level. It does. And if, you know, if a 37 year old guy can run in Augusta, Georgia, which has been perceived to be you know, racially divided and win with an average of 64% of the vote in three elections in a predominantly African-American city, change can happen. And that's, to me, that's why I'm so excited about what we're doing now through this alliance is I, we want to deal with local governments that want to go from good to great, knowing that not every local government wants to go to good, from good to great, but there are a lot out there that do. I was on the board of the Georgia Municipal Association for nine years, which serves cities throughout the state. So there are a lot of public servants out there. I don't, I, I view society as a bell curve, and I believe most people are in the center of the bell curve. They're either center right or center left. But all we see in politics and the mainstream media are the extremes. And so I, I governed that way when I was in office. So I went through a church leadership retreat at the year that I ran. And the moderator said, you know, in church politics, you have 3% of the people that are against everything and they're very vocal, 3% that are for everything and they're very vocal. Then you've got 12% that are against, but 12% that are for, but not as vocal but that's only 30%. Then you've got the 70% in the middle that just want to see things move forward. So 
I governed to the 70% in the middle. It ticked the extremes off at me on both sides. But I'm like, well, if I'm getting both sides of the extremes upset with me, then I'm probably doing what's right for the majority of the people that I serve. It would be a nice change to look at my government and go, man, they're really adding value to my life as opposed to I'm fighting it every step of the way. Is that part of the strategy? Is that perception? I mean, change management's a lot of things, and especially your perception of it. But how, how does that play into maybe some, you know, I always love getting free consulting. So let's give some here. Like what's, what is the kind of play to do that, to get that perception out of the way to even affect the change? Well, to me, sometimes if you want to seek common ground, you got to become the common ground. So to me, if the majority of citizens in Augusta could agree that they had a mayor that was doing a good job, that's, that's one thing that they have in common. And I always focus on the common ground. I'm like, look, people, we're not as divided as a society as people think. People want to live in clean, safe communities where they have access to good health care, jobs and opportunity, and they can educate their children. That's, that's common ground for most people. So it's to constantly focus on the common ground, but we need people rejecting the status quo of government as usual. I'll give you an example. So my father was a very ethical CEO. He flew B-17 bombers in World War II, just so respected and admired by his employees. So that he was my role model for serving in a leadership role as mayor. But people would ask me, why don't you just raise hell with your elected colleagues and all this stuff? I'm like, look, my dad taught me to be professional and I'm not going to change my character to be what you think a typical politician should be. And so from an economic development standpoint, I would share with my elected colleagues, like, look, if, if you're bent on highlighting the negative in our community constantly, you're, you're never going to sell anything to anybody saying that you've got an inferior product. You know, you need to know if you're going to get involved in economic development and business recruitment, you need to know the strengths of your community. And to me, economic development and providing jobs and opportunity to everybody that want jobs, that's sort of a big equalizer. Now, do you have any, do you have any examples of, of uh, a couple cities to watch to see them transform that you've helped or besides, I mean, Augusta might be one of them, but is there any out there that if they're on their path now? Charleston, um, my partners are working with Charleston's police department because they want to go from good to great. We're, we're on the cusp of closing a lot of deals, which is, so I, I can't give you the list of cities right now, you know, but it's, but, uh, it's, it's been amazing. This, this alliance is only 10 weeks old, which wow. tells me that you know, there are cities, particularly, and I, when I was mayor, I saw so often that there were so many consultants that got paid an arm and a leg that I couldn't figure out what they did and they had no real world experience. <laughs> and so we, we are doing this at a good price point as well. So I, and, to me, that's important because city resources are, have always been precious to me, but they're now more precious than ever. And local governments don't need to be throwing money around in the wrong way. I mean, you have to explain to me why some sidewalks cost $2 million in our city. Yeah. I was trying to get my head around it. I'm pretty sure I can go to Home Depot and get all those components for less. And some guys in front of Home Depot potentially and just go build it. 
anyway, well, we'll talk about that. But <laughs> it's, it's an incredible massive waste in the government uh, it, today. It benefited me coming from a business background and, and not, unfortunately, you know, there are oftentimes not a lot of elected officials that have a business background. And I, here again, I was not doing it for a career in politics. I, I was down there every day working. And that, that really helped with me. But taking a business-like approach was a big benefit to me. And it, it helped to create thousands of jobs and recruit hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. And it got you over the hump to write the book, too, finally. You know. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It, it's great though, and I tell people that my book, it's, it's interesting, I'll tell you a story. Last summer, I had a speaking engagement, and somebody said, what's at the core of your book? And I said, well, that it's in leadership positions, even in politics, you can maintain your character and integrity and treat everybody with dignity and respect and still be successful. And the guy who's local looked at me and said, well, I can't wait to read it. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> but, but sadly, you know, the book is on leadership. It's not on politics. And unfortunately, people don't associate leadership and politics anymore. And I, when I was growing up, there were statesmen on every side of the aisle that, you know, I actually looked up to and they, they were willing to work in bipartisan manner. But I, I was doing an interview with a young lady, 20 something year old reporter here in Augusta shortly after the book came out. And she said, don't you think that appealing to the middle is kind of lukewarm? And I said, no, I actually think that bringing people together on common ground to get things done is pretty cool. But then I realized if you're 20 something years old, this is political dysfunction is all that you know. It's all you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, my perspective is that I think you're nuts to run for office. Um, however, if you have, I mean, <laughs> you really, it, it, because it's just like your life's torn up, anything you've done or said, and maybe there's a few that are, that are, you know, you have to question why you get into it. And if you really want to affect change, I think having a plan and a, maybe what you're describing uh, is the way to change someone's mind who would otherwise go down some other path, a business path or something else that you, you really want those leaders in place. I think it's probably fair now. I mean, you mentioned the book. Uh, where should, I mean, is it an Amazon purchase, Kindle? You know, where, do, do they telephone you? I got to go have a call to action apparently in this video. No, That's it's, a cool it's, thing to do. So where do they get it? The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, it is available on Amazon. You can go to my website, deke-copenhaver, D-E-K-E-C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V-E-R.com, and you can get it there as well. But it's, you know, it's real, my wife and I laughed about it. It's kind of a little book that could. But I said I could have called it Common Sense, but obviously in politics, common sense is not, not too common anymore. But I, I talk a lot about it, um, in it about vulnerability. And I was doing an interview after it came out and somebody said, in political office, you can be vulnerable. I said, yeah. And they yeah. said, all the time. I said, absolutely. I'm like, that's what connected me to the citizens is that I didn't say that I had all the answers and that I didn't put myself above anybody else. You know, I, I viewed myself as a city employee with a more high profile job, but that's, you know, it was servant leadership. If you, uh, if you had called it common sense, it would have not been a political science book. It would have been a science fiction book. And yeah. it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been in the right category to sell. Um, you obviously, I think you were saying that recently you're on a podcast that's trending number one in a certain segment. Is that, tell me about that. Cause I, you don't meet a lot of people get a number one podcast. That's for Joe Rogan maybe, but no, it's, uh, about that. 
So a friend of mine, Dob Barron, he's out of Vancouver. Um, Loyalty and Leadership is his podcast. And it's the number one ranked podcast by Apple for Fortune 500 listeners. And I think it's number one um, ranked podcast for business listeners from Inc. Magazine. Very interesting guy. But uh, it, it's, and here again, yeah, I connected with Dob. He's in Vancouver. I've yet to meet him yet. You and I have yet to meet each other yet. But it's all about technology. And it does afford the opportunity for heightened collaboration. No, no doubt about it. Uh, and if you'd like to meet in person, I'll happily meet you on the first tee. Uh, <laughs> national. I'll carry the bag. I'd rather play it, but if you, uh, we'll talk about that. I'll tell, I'll tell you a funny story about that though too. So a gentleman from, I believe he was from Korea a number of years ago during the week of the tournament, pulled, has, gets dropped off at the front gates with his clubs <laughs> and walked up and he said that he was going to play a practice round. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> was, his, was his name like, uh, well, I can't think of the Korean guy that was really good. Anyway, it wasn't him, apparently. Um, yeah. That would be uh, embarrassing. I'm sure, what, did they check the clubs at that point? I don't even know what you do. Like, you know, I, you I, I, Turn them around? I, he had a badge, even, but it, it, he just assumed that while there were practice rounds going on, he could go out and practice. Wow. <laughs> he did not use the Google machine prior to coming. Yes. So, um, so, you know, <laughs> I guess what comes to mind, by the way, with what you're doing at the consult is, you know, how does how does a government I mean, get started with you, but how do they, what do you, what do you see as a recommended entry point to, to affect change? Cause it's a massive, there's a lot of areas, right? So what's usually the, the two questions to simplify that. How do they start with you and where do you, you where are you seeing people or where do you see governments usually needing to start? They can contact me through my website, but I always took a holistic approach to government, right? So um, I did a TEDx talk a number of years ago called Cities Where All Things Connect. So I made the, made the point that, so low-income neighborhoods, if, if you don't revitalize them, they are generally a drag on city resources because you have to provide more for law enforcement, code enforcement. We established the Laney Walker Bethlehem Redevelopment Program here when I was in office to redevelop a historically African-American neighborhood. So I got the question, you know, at a speaking engagement I did, well, why are my taxpayer dollars going to fund inner city redevelopment, build houses in inner city? I said, it actually, we funded it through a dollar increase on our hotel motel room fee, which allowed us to bond $38 million. At that point, we were at a five to one private to public investment ratio and it had added $4 million to the tax base and crime in the neighborhood had gone down. So we, we sometimes don't think of all these issues, you know, economic, economic development being tied to improved law enforcement. As I said, you know, people want to live in clean, safe communities. And it's just, once again, a golden opportunity for small to mid-sized cities. But it's competitive, and I will say, working with people that have focused for years on equity and inclusion, this I've focused on healing the racial divide here for nine years and have still subsequently focused after leaving office. But these companies are going to want to go to places that can local governments can show a commitment to diversity and inclusion. That's just that's part of the economic development effort. So it, they, they can start with me. They can reach out to me through my website. But 
we, we have a phenomenal team together that I believe is providing valuable services that I wish it was available when I was in office. I'll say that. And I was talking to my partners this morning. I said, when I was in real estate sales, I wouldn't sell anybody a piece of property. I wouldn't buy myself. When I ran a nonprofit, I wouldn't ask anybody to give money to something I wouldn't put my own money into. And it was the same way when I was mayor of Augusta with regards to economic development. It, in dealing with bringing in businesses, automatic data processing was the first one that I worked on. But it's Augusta is an internationally known brand name of the city for being the home of the Masters and James Brown and Jesse Norman, who's the youngest Kennedy Center honoree ever. So cities have an opportunity, but, and everybody's got something to sell. I mean, quality of life is huge now. So start with me, but I'd be happy to introduce anybody to our entire team. And I was, we had a conference call this morning with the police department. I said that I want people to vet us. I want people to see that we are who we say we are, that we have a proven track record of success in dealing in difficult situations. I mean, being mayor of Augusta, Georgia, we're 200,000 people for nine years. You know, things were just, it was almost dealing with crisis constantly while trying to bring in businesses and everything. But I, I've had the experience and have the know-how to get these things done. You know, if I look at then these smaller towns and, you know, this push for smart cities, intelligent automation of, you know, of, of devices and process, is that really a reality, though, for smaller cities? Or is it just a, is there, are there just more focused efforts from, from, from what needs to happen? I, I, I have a just tough time seeing how they can afford to make some of these technology pushes as part of the experience and, and thus making the interaction with it. I know it's one area from the technology standpoint and outside of policy, but can they even afford it? I mean, is it even possible to, to become a smart city and, but a small one? Yeah, it is possible, but it takes a commitment of resources that a lot of them don't have, but we do have a digital divide in Georgia. I mean, you've got rural areas that don't have broadband. So it, it takes, I think it's going to take a combined effort with the state, the private sector too, and local governments to really get there to make some of these smaller cities and smaller communities smart cities. I, I would, I think that the combination of private and or a quasi, if you will, relationship of it would be the only way to get there. Yeah. It would be fantastic. I mean, I think, you know, I, I really believe uh, the pandemic is an interesting thing. It's been awful for so many, but I think it really is going to create a wave of opportunity in smaller mid-sized, you know, from Columbia, South Carolina to Augusta to St. Louis, Missouri, whatever, right? Where these million, yeah. 200,000, half a million, whatever the size of the city is, because why would you pay so much to have so little and, and there's no jobs? And then, it would, then if you have an influx of those types of, you know, higher paying, really good professional jobs come to it, it creates more services. It creates another a round of other types of jobs around it that need to support that new influx and there's more tax base. It, to me, it's like that should be the strategy. How do you attract high high tax revenue bases <laughs> so you can take yeah. that money and go do things? And if you're not having that on your agenda, I mean, everything aside, you can't pay for a reform on education, police, or anything, uh, or roads, infrastructure, any of that, you know, like uh, community centers, anything like that, unless you have a tax base and mm -hmm. you can't borrow it. So you have to originate it. So you have to, you know, it's so complex. The fact that you're just, you know, 
you got a real brick wall behind you. You can knock it out. Is really impressive. <laughs> I'll tell you, but, but it's interesting that before I ran for mayor, I, I've always been, you know, a fan of cities. I, I like cities. I'm excited that I'm being making a living helping cities now. But our tax base was shrinking, and we were losing population in Augusta. So I, in seeing you know, Detroit being a great example of what can happen, I thought if I, if I know that and I don't try to do anything about it, I've got some culpability. So it was almost like an intervention, but our economic forecast would be really bad to start the years. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's something that can be changed. It's just we've got to work harder than other cities. And, and we did, and it led to you know, major announcements for nine years. But it, it's, it, that's, you know, that, that was just a trend line. So you're, you're right, in these small to mid-sized cities, th there's a golden opportunity. I, I will say it's unfortunate for some major metropolitan areas because if people that can afford to live in them now are, are leaving, not everybody, but businesses as well leaving major metropolitan areas. It's, you know, seeing Elon Musk is moving to Texas, mm -hmm. you know, but that, what that can do over time to the city's resources, that, that's a concerning issue. Oh, I, I, I imagine it's probably the number one, the revenue base of it. It's like, oh, wow, how are we going to pay for anything? Uh, yeah. You know, the, uh, I had a thought there of, of, you know, you, you go to a small town and I say small towns, cause I think this is really targeted towards small to mid-sized towns. It's not be the tiny, tiny ones, but I will not stop unless that gas station's bathroom is really nice. So if anybody, your advice to any of them is enforce a much standard higher, like a quick trip level of code on their restroom stops. And then that's the first step to, that's your first brand of most, most, most small cities is I'm never living here. You see how disgusting that shell is? Or that BP? It's always a shell or BP. It's never a quick trip. Well, you, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's what I stress. We had really fully integrated economic development efforts when I was in office. And I would constantly remind people, look, we're all in the business of economic development because when we've got a prospect in, they're not telling you who they are, but they are eating in our restaurants and shopping in our shops. And if they get a bad impression, you know, that's a strike against us. So we all need to, and Augusta does hospitality great. You know, we've, we've been well-trained in it, doing it for that first week of April every year. But it, it does make a huge difference. As I say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Well, I, you know, I appreciate the time that you've given today for sure. It's been a, it's been, it's been a great interview for, for me and my perspective because you know, I know the city just because of my uh, affinity for golf, but specifically that, you know, I've never thought of any politician as somebody who politics for the most part, then you, that, that isn't self-serving. And I don't think that was your intention for sure. And, and it's certainly, you're like, well, I'm, I'm kind of good at that. So I think I'll go help some others do that. And that, that's a good spot to be. So I, I appreciate that uh, integrity and what you're doing next. And I'll have to make the horrible assumption, but I think it might be right that you're writing another book or you're thinking about this journey that you're doing now and you're taking some notes. Is that fair? That That's fair. I've done a lot of blogging for Forbes. Um, I had written a column on leadership for the Georgia Municipal, Municipal Association for five years. So I've got more than enough content for the next book, but I don't think I'm done with this book yet. Well, I look forward to reading it. Uh, I will have to uh, click on one of the links you provided. So 
I thank you so much for your time. I, I look forward to catching up with you in six months or so to see how it's gone or, uh, you know, some revelation you say, well, that didn't work. And here's how we've pivoted. So <laughs> I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's, that's, you know, I'll just say there are people in leadership positions now who want to stink claim to the status quo. And I'm like, there's no such thing anymore. We've all got to pivot. And the people that are willing to pivot and adjust are the ones that are going to do the best coming out of this. I, I absolutely agree. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And let's catch up uh, again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.